Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, lovely husband? Wonderful. Very excited. We're going to travel. Yes, we are going on a for real, for real vacation later this month to Europe. We haven't been to Europe in a long ass time. We haven't. That time. Yeah, we haven't dedicated time like that. Because when you publish a site, you really, you really can't. Yeah, you have to work all the time. You have to work all the time. You can't just be like, okay, we're closing down the site for two weeks. See you. We're we're going to work when we're in Europe. Yeah, we have to work all the time. But anyway. Even so, um really looking forward to that that's been building for a long time yeah, we'll it was take lots of pictures and post postponed them. by the pandemic and the various lockdowns and omicrons and deltas right. so and, much yeah going so on, much yeah. going on anyway excited excited also exhausted but in a good way it's the busiest week of the year it's, it's been part of the crazy. reason why yeah. we couldn't really get a podcast out last week i promise things are going to get normal again soon but we put out so much content last week that when we hit, by the end of the week, we were like, oh my God, my tanks are empty. Like, there's just so much going on with the... So know, much happened. I mean, so many awards. All, it's award yeah. season. Yeah. Listen, no complaints. No, no complaints at all. Love my yeah. job, but it is the busiest week of the year. So um, the this, this vacation will come at a fantastic time. Yes. We have things to discuss today, some of which are slightly frivolous, well, mostly frivolous, and some of which are of greater importance. We want to talk about um, the Oscar race, which is basically over. We're heading into the Oscars this Sunday night. Um, the campaigning is done. The voting is closed. Oh, but, it's closed. I was going to ask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The voting closed hours after this one, one last little bit of drama happened. Uh, and then we're going to talk about a TV show that has that dropped last week, seems to be getting some mixed reviews, but we felt like we wanted to just weigh I in on it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then um, finally, I think the main focus of this podcast is going to be the a drag ban in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you've been listening to our podcast for any length of time, you know that we wrote a book uh, on the history of drag. And we used RuPaul's Drag Race as a framework to tell the entire history of the last right. hundred years of drag and queer performing. So we have thoughts. We have thoughts about the drag ban ban in in um, as a as a as in its place in history, where you know how it refers back to things in history. But we also have rather extensive thoughts on um rupaul's how people are handling it <laughs> how rupaul how rupaul's drag race how world of wonder rupaul's drag race's production company how they've all handled this there's been some outcry mm-hmm. there's been some response and we have thoughts and we're gonna unpack that in a bit First, let's talk about Michelle Yeoh's Instagram post. Michelle Yeoh is up for a Best Actress Oscar for her role in Everything Everywhere All at Once. If she wins this Oscar, she will be the first non-white woman to win Best Best Actress since Halle Berry in, what, 2002? Something like that, yeah. And the, she she will the be... The only... I mean, yeah. so far, Halle Berry has been the only one. Yeah, and she will be the first Asian woman. Um, and that is... Uh, that The fact of that is very shameful. It's, it's shameful. That just is such a shameful statistic. Now, um, because... And she seems to be something of a frontrunner, of a favorite going into it. I mean, Everything Everywhere has been just sweeping all the major awards. You seem to think Kate Blanchett still has a shot. Well, the thing is that um, I I was 
now that you know now that i not that i I could have influenced anything but now that the voting is closed i can speak more freely uh i thought that she had in the bag i mean like i thought michelle yo was like all right she 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 won this that there's no you know right there's no doubt about it but because i'm on the computer 24 7 and i'm always looking for articles for the lounge, I have seen an major increase in number of articles about Tar and and Kate Blanchett. I mean, like it's everywhere again. Uh, very strong campaign again. Um, so I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Kate Blanchett won because it's always a possibility. As it, it, we've it, noted this week, yeah. Kate is campaigning as hard as anyone she, would, yeah. even though she says that you know awards that don't matter. Right. But I do want to say, before we get to Michelle Yeoh's indiscretion, so to speak, <laughs> the scandal, I do want to say there was there has been some blowback this week about, uh, not just on our side, I've seen this in you know, various articles and social media discussions, that Kate should dial it back, that she shouldn't be campaigning so hard. And I'm not so sure I agree with that. Um, I really hope she doesn't take it from Michelle Yeoh, but I also don't want everyone to be like, well, let's let all the, you know, let's let's no, let listen, her win listen, it. Like, I, that's not how, that's not, that's not supporting. Well, let, no, let, let's let's talk about the basics here. If, if you, I'm a musician, uh, I'm sure as an actor, as an athlete, as anything else, any other profession or, or career you have, you work very hard to get somewhere. You want recognition recognition i totally agree and the oscars is a major recognition so this bullshit that first of all awards don't matter or that i don't care it's bullshit which is something kate has been saying has been saying while she's collecting she literally said that while she was holding an award (laughs) so it's like, come on! Of right. course you want this. Of course you campaign it, and it's and you have to understand you 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 want this, and you push hard because it's not just you; it's an entire group of people, you know, right. around you that also worked in the movie. I mean, it's the director, it's everybody. You you pushing the movie. You're not just pushing your. Which I don't fault Kate for campaigning. I no, honestly I don't. don't. I think I, the bullshit about how it's not important. Well, that's my but point. They all, they all say that, that. Well, that's my point. So, but here's what happened with Michelle Yeoh. Can't. Right. No, so ahead. Michelle Yeoh posted on her Instagram hours before uh, voting closed on the Oscars a uh, Vogue article um, titled "It's been over two decades since we've had a non-white Best Actress winner. Will that change in 2023?" Which, if you read the Lounge. I posted that uh, article a few days ago. The Lounge being the open thread on our website that yeah. is posted every day. Well, if you're a fan of the the site, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. anyway um, so it was a um, pretty standard article that was examining, you know, that this rather shameful statistic on the mm-hmm. on the Academy's part that they don't give um, non-white actresses the Best Actress Oscar, not for you know the ninety some odd years of its history. Uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong with her sharing this, but there was, and she she shared screenshots screenshots on her carousel, you know, on the carousel of images that she used on, you know, the slides. Yeah. You can exactly. So, um, one of the screenshots had a um, basically said something like, "Oh, here I have the quote right here." Detractors would say that Blanchett's is the stronger performance. The acting veteran is indisputably incredible as a prolific conductor, Lydia Tarr, but it should be noted that she already has two Oscars. Uh, and goes on from that point. And it this 
part, the reason this became scandalous is because, uh, well, first, this is what um, almost uh, got Andrea Riceboro's mm-hmm. nomination right. removed, is because there was a suggestion that people were campaigning against other nominees which you're not allowed to do right you're supposed to campaign for yourself you're not supposed to it's not politics you're not running against the politician so you can't trash your nominee um i don't think michelle was no, trashing no. Her. Here's she what was happened. making a larger point about yeah, racism yeah. go ahead here's what happened yes she she got the article and then because you can't publish the whole thing you know uh she chopped it up and and did slides and of course if you read the article uh the the paragraph starts with kate blanchett so that's where they cut it right and so it's one slide starting with kate blanchett and of course you know you know social media you know people online right that's the slide that they kept showing right as if that's the only one she had posted uh no she she posted, wasn't trashing kate no she was making the point that it's, this article is true, and I agree, and here's the article, and here are several slides. But, of course, everyone was just sharing the one uh, talking about Kate Blanchett. I will say I think it was a mistake for her to do I that. I agree. Having said all that, I do think that she it was a mistake to do it. It was a mistake. It wasn't some horrible scandal. No. I'm not offended by it. I understand why she would want to make a point about how her potential win would be history-making. But, you know... Um, Voting was still going on. I really don't think right. it affected anything. But just for propriety's sake, and when I first read about it, actually, you told me about it, and mm-hmm. I was I couldn't believe it. And I said, oh, my God, her campaign has been impeccable up right, until this right. point. And it has. Uh, and I really don't think this is a stain on it, but it was a slight wobble at the last second. It, it you, as... I do think that as as someone famous, as someone who is, you know, working on something, you can't give people something to talk about. And, no. and and that's what happened. I mean, it was all over the news the next day. Yeah, she had to delete the post. She there had were to all these articles the post. Yes, run about yeah. it. That's why we're bringing it up. It's not it's not like right. we noticed this. It turned into a thing. It turned into a thing and it always does. And it always and does. and that's why today when I post on Twitter or Instagram, I always double check what I'm doing and I'm saying, is this worth posting? Right. Like, can I, do I have the time to spend the next few hours defending myself here? Explaining it <laughs> explaining, over and over yeah, and over explaining again. Explaining what I, what I mean here. Um, so, so that's the point. I, I don't think maybe somebody else did. Maybe it wasn't her. Who knows? I mean, people, you have to understand be, uh, Very few stars do all of their social yeah, media. Yeah, I mean, they do some, but they also hire people to, to take care of their social media. Maybe right. it was somebody, you know, uh, that she hired. to. Maybe it wasn't even her. Right. Um, I, I just wanted to address it because we talk about the Oscars a lot, and we talked about the Andrea Riceboro scandal. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, it's this shares a single surface similarity to it but it's really not the same thing at and all it, and it, there is a big difference between saying well here's this article even if you pointing pinpointing someone like kate Blanchett in this case there's a difference between saying you know don't vote for here don't vote for these women anymore because they're guaranteed that right. they're going to be nominated vote for this person who has no chance that's a big difference between that and just saying well here's an article about just white women winning and and why i think this article is right yeah i don't think it's a big deal um but it does it it's our area of coverage so i thought we'd weigh in on it you know what else i want to weigh in on yes my bombas socks bombas makes getting active more comfortable with socks that support your sport breathable t-shirts that keep you from overheating and underwear made to move with you ready to get active think bombas the better basics 
that take sweat wicking, blister preventing, friction free movement seriously. I got that sentence out without stumbling on any of those words. <laughs> socks, underwear, and t shirts. Socks, underwear, and t shirts are the number one, two, and three most requested items in homeless shelters. That's why for every comfy item you purchase, Bombas donates another comfy item to someone experiencing homelessness. Performance socks are made with technically advanced features like proprietary hex tech, which incorporates sweat wicking yarn, supportive strategic zone cushioning, and built-in ventilation to increase airflow, which is why every single one of my workout socks are Bombas socks. But then again, every single one of my dress socks are Bombas socks. Every single one of my wool socks yeah, are Bombas socks. pretty much all of them are. All of my socks are Bombas yeah. socks because I love them. Bombas are a gym bag staple that are made to last, and if they experience any wear and tear, Bombas will replace them for life. Performance socks are so colorful and comfortable, you'll want to wear them even when you're not working out. No matter how you like to get active, Bombas has something for you. Gripper socks help you stay balanced in Pilates and bar. Left, right, foot contoured running socks give you a perfect fit that won't slide in your shoe. Merino wool golf socks keep you comfy and supported all day while on the course. Bombas's 100% happiness guarantee means you're covered for life reach out anytime to their happiness team for easy returns exchanges or replacements so go to bombas.com slash tlo and use code tlo for 20 percent off your first purchase that's bombas.com slash tlo and use code tlo at checkout thank you Bombas. They really are the best socks. I agree. All right. So we're going to briefly touch on Daisy Jones and the Six, which is the Amazon Prime series that is based on the book that is sort of based on uh, the book is by Taylor Reed Jenkins. It was a bestseller. Um, and the story is a sort of pseudo fictionalized account of Fleetwood Mac. Although it really, especially the longer you get into the series, you can see that it's a mm-hmm. pastiche of the 70 music was, industry. I thought it was inspired by the band. I mean, directly inspired by the band. It's not because I know, but the I makeup thought, of the band was, isn't yeah, the same. I mean, right. the, the gender makeup of the band is the True. same, and there's a, a sort of scandal. Uh, and there's, yeah, the relationships in the band are somewhat similar, but the history of the band is not the same. Um, and I think they're doing a whole pastiche of basically the 70s musical industry. Um, the um, uh, character of the uh, the disco singer, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember the character's name. Um, she, her whole story, Simone, Simone Jackson played by Nabia Bay. Um, her whole story incorporates, as the series goes on you'll see a little bit of donna summer you'll see a little bit of roberta flack you'll see right. a little bit of whitney houston they kind of represent and you'll a even see a little yeah. bit of martha yeah. washington so it's like this this history of black female vocalists is compressed into one character right same thing with um daisy jones's character played by riley keogh yes of course there's a big stevie nicks vibe but she actually stylistically she's much more johnny mitchell than stevie stevie nicks um and i think they incorporate a lot of that into her background and into the style of music she does it's getting mixed reviews and i understand why Mm -hmm. i've seen six of the ten episodes and um I would still recommend it as a um, light, pleasant viewing yes, experience. Th- that's how I see it. It isn't yeah. quite necessarily prestige television. I don't think it quite gets there. But it's entertaining, actually. It is entertaining. It feels um, like a big, glossy network miniseries type thing. It, it almost feels like um, an expanded Lifetime movie, although it's sexier and harder than right. that. I enjoyed these type <clears throat> of shows because I do enjoy the process, the creative, you know, 
uh, process. It's really good about that. Yeah, it's really good about showing how the. I think they 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 uh, spent a lot of time, which I appreciated, like how they formed the band and how they got together and you how they each songwriter pulls inspiration right. from other songs, right, from right. things people said to them. Right, that I agree. Sort of thing. I thought it would. I, I think they do a good job, and the voices are are, are okay. Yeah, the voices. Are I think good. the voices yeah. are actually phenomenal. Yeah. Riley Keough and uh, Sam Claflin played the two leads, and, they and they're sing. basically yeah. Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And so a lot of it, a lot of the songs revolve around their 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 ability to harmonize with each other and and to sing it, and they're phenomenal. I right. think they're they sound like a real rock band. The uh, the actual songs sound like songs from that period, and some of them are great. The songs are great. Um, I was listening to NPR the other day, and they were talking about the show, and they played the song, and I'm like, oh my god, the song! I mean, it's, honeycomb. It's, that yeah, one song. I know. It, it's like it's stuck in my head. I, I really like the song. That's the. Th- <laughs> I was going to bring that up. It is very rare. In fact, I don't know this has ever happened to me where a fictional song in a in a movie or TV show gets stuck in my head the way a song on the radio yeah. would get stuck in my head, and it did. That Honeycomb song got stuck in my head for days right, after. Right. Granted, there's a lot of scenes of them recording it, and you hear it over and over again. But it, it's it's a nice melody, and it, it sounds great. Uh, the costumes are great. Costumes are spectacular. The, the costumes are great. They they did a phenomenal job. Uh, it's Southern California from like right. 69, or no, 71, 72 to about 77. And I love that period, and I don't think we I see do a too. lot. I don't see a lot. I don't think we see a lot of shows about that specific 70s, period. I yeah. agree. Um, 70s Southern California. Yeah, I mean it. It's so awesome when you when you watch these shows. You're like, wow, there was a whole vibe in life. You know, well, happening. it's something that um, Mad Men of all shows yeah. really made a point in the later se- seasons of the. And Matthew Weiner used to say that he said it's not often examined, but there was a cultural shift around 1970 where the focus of the cultural focus of the country went from New York to Los Angeles. Right, right. And then for the rest of the 70s, Los Angeles was the right. cultural center of the United States. And I mean, on and off since then, right. New York and LA are always fighting that battle as to who's on but top. It, it, In the 70s, yeah. LA was on top. So the costumes are great. It does, as you, I think you, you mentioned that it, it, it sometimes it looks like a, a movie, not necessarily. It looks like a documentary. Yes, yeah, exactly. They really, um, Camilla Marone, who plays um, Sam Clayton's oh, wife. Oh, good. They, first off, she's really good. Um, I'm shocked she's only 25 years old, but. Uh, every once in a while, I turn to you and say, oh my God, that is exactly what girls looked like in the 70s. That was the look uh-huh. on the front of every woman's magazine. They got the hair right. They got the very low-key makeup right. And right, she right. just, they nailed her. She's perfect. Um, Suki Waterhouse, who plays sort of the Christine yeah. McVie oh role. God, yeah. um, she's fabulous in it. I really am not crazy about the rest of the guys in the band, the, the I three agree. supporting they're, actors. They're okay, yeah. They sort of fade in the background. But um, uh, Nabia Bay as Simone Jackson, uh, she's also great in it. She gets a whole arc of her own. She gets basically a whole episode that focuses entirely on her. So it's just sort of a a romp through the 70s music scene. There's disco. There, there's scenes in gay clubs in the 70s where she's doing a full Donna Summer style act. I know, it's, it's a awesome. lot of fun yeah. to watch. And um, that's it. There's drama. There's cheating on wives. There's uh, drug abuse. There's all this stuff. It's basically a VH1 behind the music documentary yeah, yeah. that has been turned into a fictionalized yeah. um, it, limited series. Right. It's not like a phenomenal show. No. Uh, and, you know, not, 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 Very not a lot watchable. of, not a lot of explosions happening, but it, it's, 
It's emotionally interesting, I think. I, mean, I agree. Go through that process to create a band, to create something, uh, and what they go through. Uh, I, I do like the show. I do like it. I I'll, I'll keep watching. Yeah, yeah I, it's it's definitely recommended with the understanding that it, I would not call it prestige television. Right. Um, it's entertaining. I. It, it has its flaws. I think, for me, one of the biggest flaws is that they did not... Uh, the whole thing is told like a BH1 behind the scenes. So you, they interview all of these characters 20 years after the events of the series. Right. And they it's Riley Keough who's playing this character in her early 20s, but she's also supposed to be in her mid-40s, and I she guess. Doesn't look and like none it. of them do. Yeah. None of them do. They look the and same. Yeah. I think it would have been a lot more interesting if they had cast middle-aged people who, right. who could play those parts um, instead of just putting a wig on Riley Keough and claiming that she's 20 years older. Um, but she's great in it. She's got a really lovely voice. She has a real knack for playing these sort of infuriating women. I know. She's great. Um, these women who are very self-involved, but uh, at the same time, you could read that simply as self-confidence. And she she can be maddening in a, in a lot of ways. And then um, Sam Claflin plays Billy Dunn, the lead singer. And he's a lead singer asshole. He's self-absorbed. I mean, yeah, wildly self-absorbed. Yeah, playing that. Yeah. And he's gorgeous in this. And I am not... I don't really think Sam Claflin is all that out of at, yeah, in the outside he looks, world. He looks really good. But man, they, I did say to you at one point... I'm he like, looks hungry. I said he looks <laughs> really hungry. Like he is ripped to the bone. I, know, I mean, his jaw yeah, line. He, it's, uh, like I don't know thing. why he did that. I mean... Yeah. I mean... I guess he was going for that 70s Southern California rock yeah. god look, but you don't have to be ripped to I can play understand that. the look, but it's a little too much for him. He really did look hungry. Yeah. But anyway. Um, Recommended. It, it. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think we might, uh, because, you know, award season has been so nuts, but I think we might um, drop by on this, either in written form or another right, podcast, right. when it all wraps up, because... It held my interest. I just didn't... We didn't have time to do a full-blown review. There's so much going on. Um, my anyway. goodness, yes. There's so much going on. And that allows us a segue into the more serious topic of the week, which is uh, a bill that passed in Tennessee last week that restricts, quote, adult cabaret performances in public or in the presence of children. It is essentially an anti-drag bill it has passed it is the first anti-drag bill this country has seen in oh many many years i mean as we've mentioned many times on this show we wrote legendary children this history of drag and queer performing and we did years of research into it for the book and um it was really fascinating to ponder a time prior to roughly 1968 or so when obscenity laws started getting overturned right Ponder a time where it was literally illegal for a man to wear a dress in public, you, you for a woman to yeah. present, you know, to cut her hair mm -hmm. short and present as male in public. Um, you would go to jail for yeah, that. Illegal as, as, as in you go to jail. You would go jail. to jail. You would have your life ruined. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you were sent to mental institutions uh, because it was considered a, a, an illness. And now here we are back again. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, a Republican bill, and it is part of a Republican push against gender nonconforming people. It is under the umbrella of attacking trans people. Yes, specifically. Um, yeah. And I do want to make that point before we dive, because we're going to focus on the drag bill, mainly because it 
covers our area of expertise. But this is part of a much larger, much more yes. insidious yes. push to restrict the rights of trans people. And queer people in general. But right now, there are all these bills all over the country that are trying to get trans children to deny meta, uh, gender affirming care to trans children and some adults to have trans children taken away from their parents it is exploding all over the country oh miss Mimi was in the background uh, letting us all know she doesn't approve of this either because she is an lgbtq ally um <laughs> so uh, okay first um we've covered this ground before but i feel like um it, it, if there's any chance that there are new listeners, because there's always new listeners who tune in for whatever reason, I just want to cover a bit of the history of drag in this country. The history of drag, period. Um, drag is has always had a reputation for being um, something that gay men have done to make fun of women. And of course, there is always that... There's, there's always been that in the history of drag. There's a misogynistic undertone. Um, but drag was created by trans women who um, needed to understand and figure out tools to pass as women in the world because right. they didn't have surgery or hormones available to them. So all of that stuff about tucking, about contouring and baking your face, about uh, tape, wig tape and all of that, um, cinching your waist and patting your hips, all of that, all of that was created by trans women so that they could pass as women or try to pass as, as women um, when they didn't have other options available right. to them. Plus, these um, drag was also largely became a um, queer performing uh, art because uh, not gender nonconforming people, not just trans men and trans women, but also um, what we would have called, and still do, bull dykes, or flaming queer men. They're just on the spectrum of gender presentation. And back in the day, back in pre-Stonewall days, back when drag was illegal, these people pursued drag as a um, profession, not just because they were drawn to the art, but because they literally couldn't get a job anywhere else. It was drag or it was sex work. And a lot of time... They did both. They did both. There was mm -hmm. always a massive uh, overlap. And I'm right. pretty sure... I'm pretty sure RuPaul has alluded to having done sex work herself. Ooh, I don't know. No, she's alluded to that in her... I mean, she, yes, she has alluded to it. Yeah, I'm, I um, don't know. It's... In the history of drag, going back decades and decades and decades... This sort of thing was very, you know, it, it was about uh, all anti-queer legislation back in the day and even today. It was about pushing people as far to the margins as possible. It was about taking away every every um, opportunity they had to live their lives freely. So um, you w don't hire any gender nonconforming people for any job because it's basically illegal and it forces them into prostitution and drag. Uh, and which drag was an underground art form. It was not a legal art form. We've talked before on this uh, podcast and on the site and in the book that lip syncing uh, is an art form among drag queens because um, uh, there were bills that made it illegal for musicians to play in, dra in, in gay clubs or in areas where drag performers uh, were performing so you couldn't have any musicians and if you couldn't have any musicians it was just easier to put a record out and have some queen do right, exactly. lip sync um, and that's how lip syncing became an art form drag is <clears throat> um, 
It is in many ways the purest of queer art forms because it arises out of so many aspects of queer life. It encompasses so many aspects. It's why uh, cisgender men and trans women and trans men and non-binary and bisexual, they all perform drag because it speaks to many, many, many different aspects of queer uh, identity. It's a fascinating form of art. Uh, because it is. because you know most arts don't don't have anything to do with your gender or your sexuality or or you know in right. general I mean, right. you, you know you if you're a musician a dancer whatever um you, you express your art but you don't focus too much on on discovering yourself or or right. figuring out what you are or who you are and that has a lot to do with drag had a lot to do and it still does um so it's it, it's fascinating because you you, you you're discovering yourself but at the same t- time you're creating this art form um you know that can be your job or right. your entertainment or, or anything so right. it's it's fascinating actually the history of it and um much uh this has followed uh months and years of drag queens being attacked of drag queen story hours being attacked of um actual drag performances in adult venues being attacked and this like as i said this is all a larger um aspect of anti-trans rhetoric and anti-trans legislation but as we have made the point many 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 times to our gay cis uh siblings you are wrong and you are making a huge mistake if you don't take up the banner for your trans siblings because we are all under that umbrella. Right. They come for one, they come for all. That's the way it works. They come one step at a time. They don't just... They keep chipping away. Exactly. And they have just... Mm -hmm. We are now on the verge of seeing major rollbacks, very, very similar to the major rollbacks in women's reproductive health and choice right, right. in this country. We are being forced 60 years back in time by a minority in this country that is uh, has grabbed hold of various aspects of the media and local governments in order to enforce this agenda, this retrograde, right. backwards, fucking medieval agenda. Yeah, well, and this, these... This is how politicians operate. They they take a social uh, issue uh, to to gain votes and to you know to be right. to become more powerful. And it, right now, it's it's the queer community, it's the trans community, it's drags now, uh, yeah. and they're going to go all the way in. Um, yeah, and they're coming for all of us. But that is not the reason that you should support it. You should support it because people should be free to live their lives. And um, let's just let's go deep into this. Uh, it it restricts it in public or in the presence of children. And I've said this before about the way rights get chipped away in this country, that you start off by doing it in, in a way that sounds reasonable. And the best right. way to make it sound reasonable to remove someone's rights is to argue that children are being threatened. It's always mentioned. It's children. Always, always about the, the children. children. Yes. And I'm sure as I have seen uh, in various arguments against drag and children, you can find some video of some drag queen acting totally inappropriately in front of a child. Absolutely. But this is not a feature of the art. You can find Hooters waitresses you acting. Find a, you can find a clown at, right. a, at a birthday party. You can find yeah. videos of just about anybody acting right. inappropriately in front of a child, especially if it is a performance right. and someone brought a child to it. Um, 
But that does not mean it is a factor of, I mean, drag is generally not an art form for children. It very, the, the only aspect that is like drag brunches and drag queen story hours, which are the most wholesome fucking aspects of drag you could ever possibly see. They it, just sit there and read a book. And I mean, they, yeah. we wrote about this, we wrote an editorial for the Philadelphia Inquirer last year about drag and, and children and about how there is no problem introducing children to, to basic drag. I realize you can find some scary ass drag queen out there. You can find some drag queen that does stripper work or mimics sex work because of course there's all four. You can find pop singers who do that. But the ones who are focused on that are generally put in front of children, definitely all the ones that do the drag queen story hours in libraries are very more or less wholesome clowns in mostly in dresses. Right. But it's not a sexual thing. It is a character based thing. And children innately understand the idea of putting on makeup and a wig and turning into a character because 90 percent of their um entertainment and the and the advertisement that is pitched to them fucking ronald mcdonald they understand this that it's right. part of their view they're not weirded out by it it's adults that are weirded out by it so uh and i feel that it's important that we, uh, specifically the Renzo when i talk about this because we we wrote a book we've been writing about drag race now for in the entire length of its history we're involved in some way in the world of drag we've made some money off of this world and i feel that uh, we have to support it we have to use whatever platforms we have to call things out or to bring attention to it and i do want to sound the alarm if you're not aware of this this is a bfd it might sound like it's not a big deal to say that children in tennessee shouldn't go to drag shows but this is not about children because laws like this are deliberately meant to be as vague as possible and you will they they can't with when they can't have these performances within a thousand feet of schools or public parks or places of worship okay what does that do for pride and i need to remind people if you think tennessee doesn't have a drag scene nashville is a major entertainment hub in the united states one of the major entertainment hubs in the united states has a huge queer community and it has a huge drag community and that's not even talking about all the smaller Mm -hmm. drag venues and drag communities around the state um the point is to make it it's much like when they used to harass musicians not to perform at these clubs it's to make it so difficult to perform drag that even places that aren't under any you know that where there are no children involved are going to start scaling back on this sort of thing look at how walgreens this week got itself into all this trouble because they said they weren't going to um, sell the abortion pills even in states where it was legal. They just didn't want the trouble. The point to these laws is to make it more and more difficult. Regardless of what the law actually says, mm-hmm. in practice, it's going to have much, much wider repercussions. That's true. And not only that, if it works in one state, they're going to go to another one and they're another gonna one. Going. They're going to keep going. Uh, and that's what's happening right now. There's like, what, 14 states now? Yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah, so... It is insane and it's scary and and you need to be you need to understand what's going on you need to be aware of what's going on uh it affects everybody it affects everyone in the queer community in right. some way or another but um the reason we're calling it out is because it affects the livelihood and it puts their lives at risk of working drag queens and we have spent years writing and celebrating the work of drag queens so we feel the need that we have to be a part of this you know conversation on some level which brings us to our next point 
there was a lot of outcry against RuPaul in the past week or so since the bill was passed because RuPaul wasn't really making any statement um, regarding it. RuPaul's Drag Race officially was not making any statement. World of Wonder, the production company of that has produced all the RuPaul's, mm-hmm. the Drag Race franchises, no statement was coming out. And there was criticism of this, mostly in, in social media, but in some articles. And then there was backlash to the criticism. And largely the backlash was that uh, RuPaul has done so much for the uh, gender nonconforming and drag community that he doesn't owe anybody anything. No, even more. Um, that the drag race, the show, was itself a statement. is a statement. Is a statement in itself. What? So, I'm gay? Is that a statement in itself? It's not that I disagree with that um, in a general sense. Uh, but um, RuPaul doesn't owe me anything. And uh, your average queer say, a reality show or your average uh, queer television show does not need to get itself involved in the politics of of queerness all over the, every time it pops up, because there's always something. And these shows are entertainment and you don't need to cross entertainment with politics all the time. However, Rue, for the entire length of his career, but especially since Drag Race has been on the air, has talked extensively about the political power of drag. He has made it part of his brand. He has made it part of the Drag Race brand. He was very anti-Trump in the... First off, he was very pro-Obama in the Obama years, very anti-Trump in the Trump years. And he had a lot of uh, get-out-the-vote episodes. Mm -hmm. And I think he'll probably have one this season at one point. So he's not a political. The show is not a political. And the reason I do believe RuPaul has a responsibility to call this out is because this isn't some general like anti-queer bill or something. This is le- directly attacking your people. The your industry which is drag. And the thing about drag race is I- I'm usually very I tend to defend Rue from a lot. Uh, I have a lot of respect for what Rue has done Mm -hmm. and what Rue has been through. And I do think a lot of queer, younger queer people do not understand what a six-year-old black gay man has seen and what he has gone through if he has spent the last 30 years doing his work in a dress. All you have to do is go on YouTube and and type RuPaul and and you you, you see, you you watch his history. Yeah, he's gone through some shit. He's stood up very proudly through most of that shit and he's pushed forward. And um, I always talk about this because and it's a quote in our book where at the end of um the first season of drag race he addressed the camera and he said we are going to bring drag Mm -hmm. back to where it belongs which is directly in the mainstream of america and he did that at the time it sounded like the most ridiculous idea in the world but he actually did that and we can say you know we can roll our eyes there's a lot about about rupaul that i understand why people he's his whole history of trans you know he's very iffy about trans acceptance on the show and in his in the in the community he's made a lot of weird comments about it over the years he is not a our lgbtq martin luther king he never will be he's not harvey milk that's not who rue is i understand that but these are your people whose lives and livelihoods are now being threatened in a manner far more egregious than even when you started out when rupaul started out drag was legal it was had been legal for years at that point but we're going backwards to a time when it's going to be even harder than you when you were younger and my point is this, Drag Race, for good or for ill, 
has defined the mainstream of drag in America, and in some cases, in worldwide, it has become a worldwide franchise, and it has elevated the sort of pageanty, glamorous RuPaul-esque drag that RuPaul embodies. But there, you know, if you've seen, you know, Dragula or any of those other, you know, the Boulet brothers, you know, there's all kinds of drag out there. But Drag Race has defined the industry, and it has affected how drag queens make their money. It has affected the rates that they that they are, and it affects who gets billed or who gets booked. You have a responsibility on right. some level to that community. On some level, <laughs> um, and there are li- literal queens in Tennessee whose livelihoods yeah. and lives are. And so, my, here's what happened. Last night, RuPaul's Drag Race released a video, and it looks like a freaking hostage video. It looks like they slammed Ru up against a wall and said, you've got to say something, say this. And it was boilerplate get-out-the-vote rhetoric, which is not wrong, because, of course, the best uh, uh, offense and defense against the encroachment of authoritarianism is getting people out to vote against it. However... It is boilerplate rhetoric. It is. It had none of the. Um, it it felt so disconnected from the reality of the situation, and it felt begrudged. It felt like he was forced to do it. In fact, he ended it. Do you have the quote? There? Yes. Well, he he said, you know, you have to vote. This is a distraction. They're just using us because they are not focusing on other more important issues, like you know, taking care of children at, at schools and blah blah blah. And then, you know, it all sounded like very nice. And then as typical RuPaul, uh, you know, statement, he says, well, by the way, a social media post has never been as powerful as the register vote. Which is actually, which is his way of saying, you know, I was forced to do this. I was forced and, to do this, and it's bullshit. Yeah. And it's not bullshit. Um, the, social media has done a lot to rally people to right. political causes and such. It's, you know, it, I was fine until he said that, because I, it really annoyed me, because you pretty much said, you know, see, see, are you happy now? I did this. That's so uh, RuPaul. But it doesn't mean as, you know, as much as if you, if you go out. And I understand you have to go out to vote. We understand all that. But you have to understand that half of the country right now hates us. Uh, and we need to educate people. We need to, we need to do whatever we can, aside from voting, to prove in a way or to show to people or force to people that we have the right to exist. We have the right to be here. Uh, so there are other ways you can do things. I mean, yes, vote voting is the ultimate. You know, it's the it's it's the end goal here, of course, because when you vote, you you kick these assholes out. But there, you know, you can't just say vote. You can't just say vote. I mean, I mean, you can, but Drag Race and RuPaul and Michelle Visage and World of Wonder, they owe all of their success yes, well, you have to, to the world of drag and to the hundreds of drag queens that have have competed on that show and and dozens of whom have gone on to become famous in their you, own you, right. Let me remind you here. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, let me remind you here of a couple of things. The show is called RuPaul's Drag Race, number one. Um, the show has been on the air since 2009. The show has won, I believe, like 26 Emmys. So you've been doing this for many, 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 many years. You've been benefited from this right. for many, many, many years. You made a lot of money. Your company made a lot of money. Uh, you have a responsibility here to protect the people that you're making money on. So what I want to say is that they, 
because you might be listening to this and thinking, well, what what are they supposed to do? What is what is RuPaul supposed to do about this bill in Tennessee? He, ha- as I've noted, first off, they have these drag con events every you know, twice a year, mm-hmm. um, uh, where thousands of mostly young drag race fans show up to these enormous money making right. venues. You have so much of a of a uh, responsibility to use that venue to educate all of those people on what is at yeah. risk and yes. and what it means that these these livelihoods are at risk you have a platform a mess of social media despite what you think rue you have a massive social media yes. platform yes. if you can use it to promote your fucking cbs game show every week oh i know you can use it i know to educate people on the history of drag world of wonder should be doing this they should produce videos for social media to talk about what is at stake and what the world was like for drag queens back when it was illegal and they were being thrown in institutions and publicly humiliated for performing drag. You could do all of this because part we wanted... The whole reason for Legendary Children in the book was because we knew there was a young a young viewership right, right. who didn't know all this. And we could take this opportunity of, here's something you all love that's actually deeply rooted in our oppression and our history, and we're going to show you why that is. Right. There's so much Drag Race could do. They could, I mean, they linked to an ACL, ACLU um, the fundraiser. The fund, yeah. And that's good. I agree that that's good. But you also could mount your own fundraisers. You yeah. could have some sort of fundraiser for Tennessee Queens and their legal bill. You could you could tr- uh, do what you can to try and get uh, you know surrounding states to book these queens so that they can work. There's so- You could have an all-Tennessee season of Drag Race. You could announce that now. Next right. season, every drag queen, every yes. queen on Drag Race will be That's what Tennessee. I'm talking about. I mean, the you l- could do this. Yeah, you the- could have the finale in Nashville if you wanted to. Right. The bill passed a week ago. They waited a week to say anything. Uh, and I and I went around to check. Uh, RuPaul has not posted on anything on his Twitter account. No, it's he posted shameful. on his Instagram account, right? And also the Drag Race account. Uh, but that's it. I checked Michelle Visage. She liked something that John Stewart uh, said or interviewed some guy. And that that's about it. It's it's shameful. Um, I mean, it's shameful because, and this whole idea that, you know, a social media post doesn't matter because that's it pretty much what you said. matters. That's bullshit because it matters when you have millions of people following you. I mean, look at Taylor Swift when she went out of her way because, you know, she doesn't talk about anything, including politics, but she went out of her way to tell people to register and vote because it was very important, blah, blah, blah. And everyone was talking about, it. and look, um, RuPaul posted this yesterday. If you go online right now, everyone it, is talking about so it. many articles. Yeah. Mother has spoken. Yes, but, exactly. Okay, and this is what the point. Like all RuPaul yes. has to do is speak, right? And he'll get all this coverage. So okay, you you spoke on it, but you didn't do anything. No, and you this should coverage be, isn't going to go anywhere. No, you should be on every TV show that you can right now talking about it. You should. Do but he's the, got his yes no, show. No, uh, uh, Ben De La Creme was on uh, MSNBC talking about it. Right. That's what you need to do. Bob the Drag Queen. I mean, all these queens are saying something. I like what Bob the Drag Queen actually said because he talks about like, you know, this is not just... And you have to remember. Oh, and the uh, RuPaul statement, he... If I, I watch it twice, I could be wrong, but he doesn't mention any trans, anything. It's all about drag. And you can say, well... <clears throat> He was only focused on drag, and that's why he, what he was talking about. Yes, but you have to understand, they're going after every group, every member of the community. And so these very vague, you know, you should vote, and by the way, this means nothing, this post that I just posted. Um, 
it's it's ridiculous. It's 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 not enough. It's not enough. It's ridiculous, and you should do more. Um, so yeah, I I saw drag queens doing much more than this company and this show. Right. Um, and that's it. That's all we wanted to say about that. Is that um, uh, normally I would say yes, Ru- RuPaul doesn't owe anybody anything, but actually he owes the drag community. Oh yes, he does. He owes the drag community yes, he does. because You're... he's made all of his money off of that yes, community. Yes, yeah. You created. You are responsible for so many things. You created an um, a show that it's all over the world now. Literally, I mean, I mean, there's a drag queen. Include the the country everywhere, you know, like it's everywhere. Uh, you created this idea, this this, you know, of what drag race or what drag queens are. Um, it's all about that. I mean, and you've been making money since two thousand and nine. You and the producers and everybody else. So not it, just it off is, the American version, but all the international all, I mean, franchises. Everything, yeah. everything. So it is your responsibility. Uh, you have the responsibility. Um, you have to say something. You have to make a statement. And you, you can't just be some some five second Instagram you know video, and look uh, telling I, people to vote. Maybe they have something planned, and I really well, hope they do. It. And I will take all of this back if something comes out soon. But for now, I am deeply disappointed. We are deeply disappointed well, in this response. I agree. Well, I I do believe that the bottom line here is that they're afraid that they're going to go after the show. I agree. That's it's, what it is. That's I, what it is. I agree. But Rue, they're going to go after the show whether mm-hmm. you speak out or not. Exactly. Um, anyway, that's it. That is our food for thought this week. We'd love to hear what any of you think about it. So come to our site and comment under the post for this week's podcast. Until then, we'll be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.